This is all of it from WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. We continue our annual series, The Big Picture, which spotlights Oscar-nominated creatives who work behind the camera to bring some of the year's excellent movies to life. Our next guest had the responsibility of creating a whole new world, the world as experienced by Bella Baxter and the Best Picture nominee, Poor Things. Production designers Shona Heath and James Price combined forces to create surrealist, semi-Victorian practical sets, mostly on sound stages in Hungary instead of on location. So when Bella, a grown woman who has been given the brain of a baby and who rapidly matures, as she heads out of her gilded cage of a home to Lisbon and Paris or on a luxury cruise, James and Shona and their teams had to build these sets from scratch. The vibe is both retro and futuristic, futuristic, considered yet random, and most impressively, unique. Shona Heath and James Price are Academy Award nominees for Best Production Design, and they join me now to discuss their work on Poor Things. Shona, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi. James, welcome. Nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So Shona, this was your first major film project. So just to give people a sense of what, what you do, what were you doing right before you got got this gig what were you working on um I work a lot with a British photographer called Tim Walker and I'd just done a a very big show at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London called Wonderful Things and which showcased his work from the last sort of 25 years and a a lot of mine actually but I designed the exhibition and a lot of sort of new work and new sets within shoots for it. And and actually, that's where I met Yorgos. He'd come to visit Tim at the exhibition. And what were those initial conversations like? How could you tell he was sort of sussing you out for film work? Um, I absolutely didn't think that at all. I just (laughs) met him with um, Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer, and then his producer, Kasia Malipan, uh, contact me and said, would you would you come and meet your goss and read the script? And I was like, yes, okay then. No idea what was going to become of it. And then there was a few, a few unusual twists and turns. And then James and I met and then, then we did the film. <laughs> James, what did you think when you first read the script for Poor Things? I was blown away by how just complete it was as a script. Scripts can sometimes be quite hard to read. Hmm. Um, and especially for me, I'm pretty severely dyslexic, so it, it can be a bit of a chore, to be honest, even if it's a good one. But I couldn't believe how easy it was to read and how quickly I read it. And I'd been told that Yorgos had wanted to build everything and create a world. So that's start your mind racing of where, where it could go, because, um, you know, if you're going to build a world from scratch, there's no point building a photorealistic world Um as you know, because you could just go and shoot it in Paris or Lisbon or where mm-hmm. and, and Alexandria. So, yeah, and it was funny. It was clever. It was bonkers. It was racy. It was. It was. Yeah, you know, it had everything you wanted in a script. Oh, bonkers is the best word. Uh, <laughs> so, James, you know, just so people understand, let's say you were doing production design on this film, and you did indeed shoot in Lisbon. What? How would your job have been different? So it would have actually involved a lot of um, scouting, as we call it, scouting and recceing, and that involves working very closely with the location manager. So the first thing to do would have been um, contact a company within that country, Paris, Mm -hmm. you know, French one, one in Portugal, and get 
usually archive photos that exist of the kind of squares and uh build buildings of, of, of a certain period we we would have briefed them we would have made some mood boards saying we want to go art nouveau in paris and we want to go lisbon we want to go whatever whichever way it may have been and so there's a lot of backward and forth looking at location photos and then actually going out and then when you hit upon an areas that you like you then go and get on a plane and go and look at these things photograph them and, f and figure that out um but it's totally different the way we did it we ne we never once went to look at these places for re for reference and part of that was because of um because of lockdown covid happened and there wasn't enough time so i'm not sure we would have gone anyway even if covid hadn't have happened because it didn't feel necessary we talked about it early on mm -hmm. and i and we sort of spent time figuring out what we liked and didn't like alternatively because we'd never worked or met one another before we met one another for like an hour's meeting before we started work on it and that was off only i mean i knew who shona was obviously because she's a pretty famous designer in the uk so so shona you know yorgos has said he thought that you two might work well together and that way he just says oh i thought they'd work well together um when do you understand why he thought you and James would work well together? Yes, I, I, I do. I think he kind of wanted both of us and maybe both of us had slightly different skill sets. I certainly wasn't capable of doing a, a feature film on my own. I, I don't have the experience in that industry at all. So and I think maybe he wanted something that he hadn't seen in film before. So maybe almost getting the wrong person in that respect was good and um he knew he could trust James and James's design aesthetic and mm -hmm. I think he yeah he thought that it might just turn up something different. James when was the moment you knew that the collaboration was going to work? Um I think that's that's difficult I mean I don't go into things that I don't think are going to work. So I'm pretty sure, and be, working in a lot of films, it's all about collaboration anyway. So it didn't worry me too much. But once I went to Shona's studio and met Shona and her design team, and knew that she wasn't barking mental, um, that we would that we would get on. And we're from the similar part of the world and, mm -hmm. and similar ages. And there was we had so much in common. Um, I was pretty intimidated though because I was only just starting my design journey and Shona has been doing it for so long and so inc incredible I mean one of the guys in my team Jonas who's a concept artist came to London because of Shona's work you know so there was a, a big on our part there was a big like wow she's sort of you know and and it, and it was and it was an amazing experience because what you don't realize having worked in film for 20 years is you get blinkered into a certain way of thinking it's all about the photo reel most directors want a photo reel and creating a believable world we did create a believable world but it was a world that hadn't been seen before so shona you know comes up with left field ideas that are just like where did that come from you know <laughs> well let's try yeah let's give it a go that's that's cool and so it was really i've learned so much from working with shona um about not preconceiving stuff, mm -hmm. which I can never said that, but thank you, Shona. Oh, thanks, James. And I've learned an unbelievable amount. I mean, but not enough, actually. There's so much mm -hmm. 
um, experience you can't gain in one in one film at all. It's a it's a lifetime of of experience that James brings and has. Yeah, it seems like you guys tried though to get as much into one film as possible. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We, we got about ten years of experience in one in one film, so it was pretty good going, I think. My guests are James Price and Shona Heath. They are nominated for Best Production Design for Poor Things. I want to talk a little bit about proportion and and depth perception in the film. Some of the sets, that it seems that the proportion is slightly off. Some of the chairs are really enormous around the dining room table. Um, Shona, how did you want to play with proportion on the sets? Um, I think the idea that, you know, Bella was essentially a child for the first part of the film. And it was quite clear Emma Stone was never going to play that in a sort of cute, childish way. That wasn't what was going to happen. But in some of the references and also Alistair Gray's illustrations, he always drew people like puppets. And even on the front of the book, his illustration is of Baxter Max and Bella, and they're all very different scales, almost like they're holding puppets or ventriloquist mm-hmm. dummies. Um, so that sort of sparked off a way of looking at it. And also James and I trying to get the humour into the set as well. We thought it would be really fun that they sat on these enormous chairs and their legs were sort of dangling like like doll, like Victorian dolls on a chair. Um, so the scale was a really, a really nice thing to play with. And I think making such a sort of a a wrong move in a way. I think it enabled us to use miniatures, which we built the boat and Alexandria um, and compressed sets like Lisbon was a, we built an enormous city, but of course it wasn't very big in comparison to a city that you never questioned the scale throughout the film because we'd already sort of messed with it from very early on. So it was a very deliberate, um, game we were playing I mean we did we did even toy at one point of making um Paris a quarter size and I remember everybody just going such a bad idea (laughs) I always wonder what that would look like (laughs) James I'm curious about depth and depth perception because there are a lot of scenes where characters are at different physical levels there's a lot of staircases and and for example in the uh scene in when uh Baxter is teaching when Godwin is teaching and the students are looking down um, in the brothel. There's a lot of staircases that go up and down. What's something a production designer needs to keep in mind about how depth um, is perceived on film and how can it be used to tell a story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, starting with the uh, medical school that you were just mentioning, mm-hmm. that's was in a real location actually one of the few locations we had both medical schools were in a real location but we built the we built the seating that so that was all all construed and the idea was it was kind of we wanted to play around with a poor proportion to give it a feel a, a bit like that was his stage you know that was that was where he was and he was in the pit and people looking around him as if he was in a theater in the round like the globe theater or something like that um but it's good to have different levels on sets because if you listen to the grip department, the floors would just be flat and they'd be able to roll the camera around wherever they wanted. <laughs> um, like the ship corridor, which they gave us all kinds of 
stick for and the um, spongy floor in Baxter's living room. That being on a different level as well. But mm-hmm. you, when you can build in these different levels, I think it helps give a it feels like the scale is bigger the place than it actually is. And um, we wanted everything to have just so much interest in it that, that the scale that the playing on the different levels was 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 one of the funny things. The biggest version of that is actually Lisbon, where you have the streets start at the waterfront and then they go up um, up towards where the hotel is and all of that floor it was really complicated to build that set it was sort of it decided that each block of buildings needed to be built from the ground from the stage floor uh like a skyscraper so it's oh built out steelwork. it was built out steelwork and then clad with the um timber flattage as we call it with windows cut in and then on top of that the plaster finishes and the and the and the tile work and then each see we had like each block happening at different stages as they were going back towards the hotel and the hotel was the final uh, block to be built because then we had to build the water tank and then the floor all had to be filled in. So that was all built out of timber rostra at different levels. And then there was soundproofing put on. And then uh, I think you guys call it Luon on top of that. We call it plywood, but, um, and then a concrete pour put on it. So it's hugely complicated, but when you go through that city, uh, you know you really get a sense of mm-hmm. it moving around in different levels and we did that not just with the floors each one of our cities that we build we made sure we were very determined to get as much variance into that like a real city because one of my things I hate about a lot of backlot set builds are out of ease every building is the same kind of thing because it's easy to do you just get a production line going and you know poor art directors and poor draft people and poor construction nothing was the same ever the same and so everything needed to be drawn made individually and that gives it what gives it such an interesting feel you know lisbon um well all, all of the cities because of that i'm going to ask you to guesstimate how many trades workers workers were involved in this building of these sets in total well i know we had three quarters of the whole construction crew working in hungary working for us at one time so i would say we'd over the course of the job it would be in its thousands you know wow there would be a best part of 170 or 80 on each set being built at one time that's just on the set physically not in workshops and studios yeah just yeah my guests are james price and shona heath they are nominated for best production design for poor things so shona some of the film is in black and white some is in color um i know there were some curtains you were bummed out about yeah to be frank yeah yes Uh, i was um, yeah, we, we 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 knew that some of the film would be in black and white, but we didn't know which bits were. And actually, in the end, Yorgos flipped it all on its head, and the flashbacks were in color, and the um, main film, the main start, the beginning of the film was in black and white. So actually, Bella's bedroom, which you know, I this had this dreamy color palette of sort of medical green and these beautiful dip dyed crushed velvet um, curtains that were sort of dipped, like they've been dipped in blood. And uh, this sort of raspberry color had sort of seeped up and and they were so beautifully done. 
and they had these padded edges and they were just gorgeous and and on in black and white they literally look gray <laughs> you can't see anything that was actually the only thing that didn't translate I mean they still look lovely but they're not they you don't read it but um I will tell much you though it. you can see them online in one you of the can- EPKs there's a oh, color fantastic. shot of it I wanted to let you know that <laughs> you can Thank see you. it I, I can look at them again and, and drool <laughs> over them um but everything else really it didn't it the textures that we'd worked so hard to put into mm. everything in the house these deep carvings um quilted wall panels panels with sort of depictions of flying machines and uh, boats to sort of inspire Bella to dream about the world outside but not go go to it. Um, the carved fish on her ceiling with these big lily pad lights that we specially made. There was so much texture that actually it read beautifully in black and white and it was such a treat later on to come back to... Um, to see the house in colour when everybody comes back into it, namely coloured in blood. But, but um, it was, yeah, that was a bit of a roller coaster. But actually, it didn't. It didn't matter in the end. It was a beautiful thing to do. James, uh, have you noticed or have you observed that actors are different on sets, on physical sets? Yeah, I. It's interesting. We. I asked Mark Ruffalo this question just the other day in an interview did he because i i had a theory that it would the, the the more real you make the set the easier it is for them in fact um i had a comment off jude law one day where he said to me your set did all the work for me there mm-hmm. and that was like mm, okay and i took that on board <laughs> um i kind of have a belief that if you don't if, if the set doesn't feel real to 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 me then it's not going to translate onto screen and it's not going to feel real to everybody else. So if I believe in it, in something that we've created, then that will go across to everybody else and it will make it easier for them. And then you don't they don't have to spend time imagining what's there. They just feel it and react and they and 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 then they're thinking about. It. So yes, I believe that the more you could do can do that the the better and even if we weren't shooting in super wide on the four millimeter sets we wouldn't have really done anything any different if we could you know because i had a lot of comments this week actually we've just got back from los angeles and with our own peer group and people saying did you build the ceilings in in the in the in the rooms you know in baxter's Mm -hmm. house was that cg i'm like no that's all there that is all there everything the only time we did not build a ceiling or go any higher was because we could physically couldn't because the stage was there and so they're completely immersive these these things and shona really loves and, and i'm sure she'll say about, about um, london and baxter's because it felt such a real place to be because it wasn't on the stage like lisbon lisbon felt much more like a theme park i always mm-hmm. refer to it as a theme park because you because it was inside but Liz, baxter's was a real place you know i was there one night on my own and I really got a little bit scared. <laughs> that means you did a very good job if you scared yourself. The film Poor Things, Shona Heath and James Price are nominated for Best Production Design. The film is also nominated for Best Film for the Oscars. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. And that is all of it 
for today. On tomorrow's show, black runners and coaches work to make running more inclusive and helped create the New York City Marathon. On the show tomorrow, we'll talk about an exhibition at the New York Historical Society titled Running for Civil Rights. It features the activism of the New Yorker Pioneer Club, an interracial group formed in Harlem in 1936. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you, and I will meet you back here next time.